Well, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to join me in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 24. Uh, 1 Samuel 24 will be the passage that we'll walk through together. We're studying through the life of David, and uh, we're going to study one of the most subtle temptations that you can face. Julie and I had the privilege of coming here to Calvary October 2008. This is a Sunday pretty close to 15 years ago when it was my first Sunday here. And I think most every Sunday but this one, I managed to do a welcome and an opening and then go back to my seat and turn my microphone off. This Sunday, I just want to apologize to anyone when we started that first song and you just heard something that was off. The, what was off was me. I respect that Kelly told me to turn it off. I think you were a little overzealous and urgent in saying that that needed to happen. Hurt my feelings a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. You need to uh, need to have it. There are some warnings and realities that when we, we realize them, we respond in the moment. Like your microphone's on, Brandon, and you're singing. That immediately gets remedied. There are other warnings that we hear, uh, and even if we agree that they're valid, we don't seem to respond with the same immediacy. So I just want to say on the front end of the message, you are never going to regret responding to the commands of the Lord. The sooner, the, the quicker you do so, uh, the more joyful your life will be, quite frankly. You, you're not going to get something out of life by not listening to him that's going to be better than what you will having listened to him. There's nothing better in life, by the way, than fellowship. I mean, true fellowship and abiding with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so responding to him uh, quickly. That's one of the things I pray for my life. God, I want to have a, a conscience, a sensitivity to you that, that I respond. I don't procrastinate or put off. And all that to say, what we'll see that uh, David does here in 1 Samuel 24 is he resists a temptation that, that you very likely have faced. Uh, and so I want you to see what it is. I'm going to invite you actually to stand for the reading of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And though we'll study through the entire chapter this morning, we'll just read the first seven verses. 1 Samuel 24 is structured this way. First seven verses are the action. Here's what happens. And then there's a section where David speaks, followed by a section where Saul speaks. That's the structure of the chapter. So we'll get the action in the first seven verses. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David with his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as... Uh, shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Father, now we ask for help. 
from you to understand your word rightly. Um, our prayer is, is that what the Holy Spirit intended for us to know, to see, to understand, to respond to, uh, to apply to our life is what we teach, is what we see, is the message that we proclaim. Help us also to know what this has to, to teach us about Jesus, his heart for the world, and, and also how we should be living in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if this happened to you. It happened to me. Many, many of us on Wednesday of this past week around 2.20 p.m., your phone sent out an alert. This happened. I'd even read that it was going to happen, and then when it happened, I still was kind of taken off guard. I usually keep my phone on silent, but an alert, a alarm blurted out. I was driving at the time and uh, still caught me off guard, even though I knew it was coming. And here's what the notification said. This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. How many of you had this? Wednesday, 220. Pretty good system, apparently, right? He went on to say the purpose is to maintain and improve alert and warning capabilities at the federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial levels and to evaluate the nation's public alert and warning capabilities. Then it ended with this statement. No action is required by the public. So this morning, from 1 Samuel 24, uh, we want to improve and evaluate how we are responding to an important warning from Scripture. But I want to say to you, action is very much required by the church, by God's people. Because paying attention to this warning is going to be and is and is going to be as we continue down in the future, continue in the future, one of the best ways to distinguish devoted followers of Jesus from those who merely claim to be followers of Jesus. So I'm going to go on and give you the warning, but here's the catch. Sometimes happens when we study the Bible. Most of us have heard the warning. When I say it, none of you are going to say, I don't think. I've never heard that before. So I'm going to give you the warning, and then we'll walk through 1 Samuel 24 to try and understand from God's perspective and by God's grace what this really means. All right, so you ready for the warning? Here it goes. We must wait on the Lord. We must wait on the Lord. How many of you never heard that before in your life? Heard it before. We just sang it, right? So what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Here's the temptation. I referred to it earlier. Uh, remember the fire verse. No temptation is, is overtaken you except what is common to man. This is one of the most common temptations you'll face. And it goes like this. You will be tempted to treat other people the way that they treat you. It's so, so common. It's almost how we think life should work. Someone is nice to me, I will be nice to them. Someone wrongs me, I will wrong them or write them off. Someone is my enemy and seeking to destroy me, well, I will destroy them first. And can we see from 1 Samuel chapter 24 that David does not respond to Saul by becoming like Saul. That's how destruction happens, friends, right? That's how things get destroyed. That's how marriages get destroyed and churches get destroyed and nations get destroyed is that we treat 
one another the way they treat us. You remember that Jesus said, he didn't say treat other people the way they treat you. He said treat other people the way you want to be treated. So I want to give you, uh, I think it's four, maybe five principles from 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'll start with this first principle is uh, we are especially vulnerable to temptation when we've been wronged. How many of you have ever been wronged in your life? Someone mistreated you, betrayed you, threatened you, wounded you, wronged you. You have and will be wronged. Because we live in a world that's, uh, that's fallen, we're surrounded by people that are fallen, the same heart that was in Saul is in us and is in people who are around you. It's not a matter of if you'll be wronged, it's a matter of how you're going to respond when you have been wronged. Remember the tactics of Saul, the destroyer, intimidation, obligation, accusation, manipulation, misrepresentation. And David, over and over and over, has been on the receiving end of Saul's destructive tactics. Friends, David doesn't withdraw from being a deliverer. And this is real life. And this is how it often happens. When you've been wronged, the most natural thing in the world is to kind of withdraw. To put it in terms of David, to just go in the cave, be in a stronghold, and stay there. And we all understand that that's, that's sort of the, the, the natural response. But you and I are called to supernatural living through the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Deliverers, as we studied together, in contrast to the destroyer, extend themselves for the good of others, even when their hands are already full. So again, if we're going to wait to, 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 we don't have much going on to extend ourselves for the good of others, our whole lives will pass us by. We never see Saul seek the Lord, but David seeks the Lord and he takes action. He's willing to listen to the counsel of his friends, but not let them have the last word. Have you ever met somebody who's just got to have the last word? Maybe, 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 maybe you are the person, right, that has to have the last word. For a follower of Jesus, who should have the last word? Jesus should. Every time. David, and we're in 1 Samuel 24, let's remember our context. David had put himself out there to deliver Keilah. He'd left his stronghold. Keilah is a city that was being harassed and attacked by the Philistines. David's in a stronghold. He leaves the stronghold to go to Keilah, delivers the city, fights off the Philistines. But now Saul, who's pursuing David, finds out that David's in Keilah. So David has put himself in a really vulnerable situation. And friends, again, true life is you're never really going to help other people, serve other people, deliver, have a ministry of deliverance where you're not going to be vulnerable to attack from both sides, truthfully. And then, you remember what happened? The people that David delivered, what did they do? When David said, I need to know if this city that I just delivered is going to protect me or are they going to hand me over to Saul? And what did God say? They're going to hand you over. The same God who told him to go there to begin with. Anybody ever been there? So, so we need the scripture to clarify reality for us. Because some of us think, if I really listen to God and obey him, that means that life's going to turn out fair. No, it's not. The reality is, if you're really going to extend yourself to serve other people, you'll often be unappreciated, if not outright betrayed, by the very people you serve. 
That's what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So this concept that we've got, if I'll obey the Lord, life will be smooth, is not in the scripture. In fact, the very opposite is, oftentimes as you seek to follow Jesus and serve other people and love other people and deliver, you feel But David's not trapped. Can I get an amen? David's not trapped. From a certain vantage point, certainly from Saul's, he thinks he is trapped. But we ended with the scripture saying, uh, Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. But here's the point we're making. We're especially vulnerable to temptation when we've been wrong. Kind of when you're in the season of life and when you're licking your, your wounds. Let's think about some of the uh, emotions David likely feels. The day Samuel showed up at Jesse's house to anoint the next king, David's out there faithfully keeping his father's sheep. And from the moment Samuel shows up and anoints him, it's just been one difficulty after another, right? One obstacle after another. There's been Goliath. That's where it starts for David. When nobody else fights, David does. Then, in response to that victory, Saul's jealous rage leads to David living on the run. And we're not talking about a couple of days. We're talking about years Imagine, y'all, imagine. Most of us can't do this, so you've got to really try. Imagine waking up, and one of the first thoughts that you have is, the most powerful man in this nation wants me dead. And that's going on and on. Imagine the stress of that. David's best friend is Jonathan. Now they have separate from one another. And, and the people around David who are looking to him for leadership, are consistently telling him to do things against the counsel of God. First it was, God's telling us to go to Keilah. No, he's not, right? We need to stay in the strongholds. And then here's Saul and it's David's men who say, take him out. And then Keilah, again, as we've already said, the city David sacrificed for, betrays him. Friends, you're not going to be able to live your life on the basis of opinion polls, Right? If David had done that, it had been misstep after misstep. So what are some of the, the things that David would be tempted to feel? Resentful, angry, discouraged, hesitant to keep following the Lord? What would, what would you feel like doing? Checking out? Giving up? Withdrawing? Let somebody else handle this? You'd, you'd also likely start to feel a bit sorry for yourself, Right? Now, all the ingredients that illegitimately made Saul feel resentful, angry, jealous, and violent are kind of legitimately there for David. And now we're told in chapter 24, verse 1, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. That literally means the spring of the goats. He's hanging out in a place uh, that's called the spring of the goats in wild goats rocks. You know what a goat does, right? They climb way up in the mountains above the Dead Sea. And in a manner of speaking, he just stay there. There's freshwater springs there, countless caves to hide in. It is a perfect hideout. Now, David's been wronged, he's been wounded, and now he's got the high ground in the cave and just enough resources to sustain him if he chooses to stay there. And my, maybe you could, could relate that that'd be a preferable place to stay. And I want to suggest to you, in Getty is where many, many people choose to stay, nursing the wounds that happened from living a life of deliverance 
I've been to Engedi. Not literally, you know what I mean, right? I've been to Engedi. That's the place where after enough people have done enough wrong that you decide to hide out is now your home. But here's the problem with Engedi. What's the problem? You already know what the problem with Engedi is. It's not where God promised David would be. David was promised by God that he would be on the throne. And the throne is not in Engedi. But we can appreciate, especially vulnerable, especially vulnerable to temptation when we have been wrong. And the second principle is this. When we've been wronged, we often take matters into our own hands. Here's the situation. Verse 2, Saul took 3,000 chosen men. We should read that in here. 3,000 special forces, right? 3,000 Navy SEALs. These are the elite. Saul's got 3,000 men. If you've been tracking along in our study, how many men does David have? 600. Saul's got five times as many. And David's ragtag group that we read about earlier that joined him in the cave, they're not the mighty men yet. And then the situation arises. He came, verse 3, to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. So let's put this delicately. Saul is occupied, vulnerable, and completely unaware of what a dangerous situation he is in. So Saul is is occupied in verse 4. David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, notice the phrase, notice how they, notice the terms in which they couch this. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David's men are interpreting the circumstance of Saul being in the cave as what God has brought about for David to strike down Saul. You just read verse 24, verse 4. Read with me 1 Samuel 23 in verse 4. Let's notice what's going on. Then David, remember this is when he's asking God, should I go up to Keilah? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah. All right, we tracking together? Now David's friends are taking what God had said about the Philistines, and they're applying it to the situation with Saul. So listen to me very carefully. Not everyone quoting the Lord, not everyone quoting Scripture, is doing so correctly. Did we all hear that? Just because someone is saying, here's what the Bible says, you've got to have uh, some of a the Bereans in you, as it says in the book of Acts, that you investigate for yourself whether these things are true. And one of the great helps of being part of a church family is we're, we're seeking to follow the Lord together. But by all means, I say to you, as someone who's standing here, open the Bible as saying, here's what Scripture is saying, is make sure that this is what God means when he says what he says. God had said this about the Philistines. He had not said this about Saul. God had promised David the throne. I mean, we can understand how this works. God had promised David the throne. And think of all that David could do, could say and feel to justify killing Saul. Saul's trying to kill me. 
Saul killed the priests at Nob. If the roles were reversed, it's what he would do. And friends, I am trying to clearly say to you, when that becomes your mentality, this is what they would do. This is what the person out of fellowship with God would do. This is what the person who doesn't seek the face of God would do. And you're using that to determine what you would do. That's an indication that you are out of fellowship with God. Can I get an amen? We are following a king who did not treat us as we treated him. We really need to take inventory on this point. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it is up to you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the word of the Lord. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Third principle, we should never pursue the promises of God through sinful shortcuts or compromises not based on Christ-like character. Is there anything that feels more natural than revenge? I mean, think of all the books or movies you've seen in your lifetime, but that's basically the plot line, right? Revenge, it feels right. Let's settle the score. When life's been unfair, when we feel justified in seeking out vengeance, we all face this temptation. Hey, are there some examples in the Bible where somebody took a sinful shortcut and used a promise of God to justify what they'd done? Of course, it's over and over. Abraham, waiting on the Lord. You're going to be a father of a multitude. And here he is, advanced in years. I still don't have a son. Then Sarah comes to him and says, I think I know what we can do. Here's my servant Hagar. Go to her, have a child, bring about the promise of God. Do you know who's the best equipped to bring about the promise of God? God. They don't wait on the Lord. When the wait goes on too long, Abraham decides I've waited long enough. When the people of God are waiting for Moses to return from the mountain, when he's up there meeting God, they think it's gone on long enough. They get Aaron to build a golden calf that they can worship. Friends, when sinful shortcuts and compromises of character occur, people always get hurt, and those decisions reverberate for generations to come. David concludes something significant. We all listening? Saul's sin does not justify mine. So David decides to trust the Lord to bring about his promise in his timing. This means something really important, y'all. Circumstances are not the best interpreters of God's word or God's will. We say that often, but we usually mean it when the, ne- uh, the circumstances are negative. Like we'll say to somebody facing a humongous uh, uh, medical uh, issue. 
And we'll say, I've given the counsel. I believe it's true. Don't interpret the goodness of God and his faithfulness through the prism of your current circumstances. But friends, we also need to say it on the other side. It's just as true when the circumstances seem fortuitous. Just because the job transfer is a pay increase doesn't mean that you should do it. You know what I'm saying? Just because he asked you out doesn't mean you should say yes. It reminds me of the story I heard one time of a man who was committed to eating healthier. I can relate to that desire. And so on the first day of his new plan, he was driving to work. And on the way, he remembered, I'm about to pass the donuts shop. And the temptation began to set in. So he rationalized. And he said, if there happens to be a park open in front of the entrance, I'll take that as a sign I can go in and get a donut. And lo and behold, after he had circled the block eight times, there was an open park right in front of the entrance. David doesn't see it the way everybody else sees it. David sees it the way the Lord sees it. And friends, there are going to be times in your life that's likely going to be true in your life. But the men come around to seeing it the way David saw it. That's actually something called leadership. Not taking people where they are and just going along with where they are, but saying this is what the Lord says. This is how David's men become David's mighty men. And notice how sensitive his conscience is. It's amazing that David has this sensitive of a conscience at this season of his life. David doesn't cut corners, but he does cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And just doing that cuts him to the heart. Now, what's going on there? Well, we're reading through 1 Samuel, and uh, there's something about the robe, right? The king has a robe nobody else has. You, you remember when Jonathan recognized David was going to be the next king, he took off his robe, right? It's Jonathan's way of saying, I'm not going to be king, you are. He gave Jonathan the robe. It's a, it's a piece of clothing that is only the king's. And, and David says, having just done that, just kind of messed up the robe a little bit, cutting that corner off the robe, it says, David's afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, I don't know if you do this in your Bible, but, but you can circle that word, verse 5, afterward. Here's a healthy conscience. A healthy conscience is after the emotion has passed, the moment has passed, a healthy conscience is telling you to do in the moment what you will wish you had done afterward. Saul doesn't have an afterward. Saul is just raging in the moment, right? And yes, it's true. If the roles were reversed and Saul was sneaking up on David, he would have taken David out. But we are not called to be a people who, by leading of the Holy Spirit, treat people the way that they treat us. We're actually called to love our enemies. May God give his people grace to recover this kind of heart. David will not grab what is only God's to give. Friends, the end. Do not justify the means. For the people of God. The gospel advances to the degree that followers of Jesus do not treat those that oppose them the way they have been treated. 
are we able to see how David points us to Jesus? Like David, Jesus was the anointed king, but he did not receive that kingdom immediately. This is, this is by the way, one of the temptations Jesus faces where? In the wilderness. Satan tempted him to forgo the wilderness, to forgo the waiting, to forgo the suffering. All the kingdoms of the world I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. We become like what we worship. Saul is becoming like Satan, a destroyer who steals, kills, and destroys. But Jesus, praise God Almighty, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You shall love the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was mocked, falsely accused, violently opposed, but he did not take vengeance when he had the opportunity and the right to do so. He stands before Caiaphas, he stands before Herod, he stands before Pilate, but kept entrusting himself to the Father. His own devoted followers, like Peter, come alongside of him and give him counsel. No, you don't need to go to the cross. May it never be. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. Friends, we are in danger of losing our witness to an unbelieving culture because when they look at us, they see themselves staring right back. It is not the call on the people of God to out-Saul Saul. It is the call of the people of God to be persecuted and to suffer and to keep entrusting ourselves to him who trusts, who judges justly. We, like Saul, were usurpers to his throne, jealously guarding our status and position while having absolutely no idea how vulnerable we really are before him. So confident, not knowing it would be so easy for God to be done with us. But he has been merciful brings us to our last principle for this morning. Waiting on the Lord is an active, not a passive approach. Waiting on the Lord is an active, not passive approach. We've seen the action now. I want you to hear what David says. Afterward, there's that word again, afterward. Friends, you'll you'll only have an audience to speak in light of what you've done. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, David, behold, behold, David seeks your harm? Have you ever been lied about? David's been lied about. Behold, This day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you, 
as the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? Pursue After a dead dog, after a flea, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David is waiting on the Lord. But what I really want to emphasize is that does not mean that David is doing nothing. I think this is what we have in our mind when we talk about waiting on the Lord. Your mind goes to the waiting room maybe at a doctor's office and you're just sitting there and you're waiting and you're saying to yourself my appointment was for 30 minutes ago they haven't come out yet waiting waiting or you took your car to get the oil chain i mean you, you understand we won't go through all the scenarios that's that's not where our mind should go when we think about a waiting room. The, the word wait, as the Bible is using it, isn't about just sitting there. Think about it this way instead. Have any of you ever waited on a table like that was your job? Is that an active or a passive role in responsibility? If you have a good server... They're, they're waiting on you. They're, they're waiting. What have they asked for? Uh, if you've ever been in a situation where a, a, a server comes up and before you can even ask for a re- they're just kind of showing up, right? You're more drink and more refill your water and you want more biscuits. All right, I'm divulging a little too much information into my approach. But they're watching, responding listening, working, waiting. That's how David is waiting upon the Lord. He's heard from the Lord, you're going to be the next king. But he doesn't hear that and respond, all right, well, let's go on and cut to the chase and take Saul out. He watches, he listens, he responds, he obeys. Saul, as soon as David finished speaking, verse 16, speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? By the way, that's the first time Saul's used his name. Up to this point, it's just son of Jesse, son of Jesse, son of Jesse. Is this your voice, my son, David? My son, David. I read that and I think about the son of David. People will hear the voice of the son of David when you treat them with mercy. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be a king, or shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Saul's getting around to seeing some things, isn't he? Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. 
is Saul really repenting here? Saul's such a complicated man, isn't he? Saul's just like us. Life is complicated. I think we get a hint in the next statement. Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So, so can I say also, you love your enemy. You pray for your enemy. You always need to be careful about who you trust. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, they hugged and made up and, and David went back to Saul's house, right? Is that what it says? Saul went home, David and his men went up to the stronghold. In conclusion, I want you to see something with me that David writes when these things are going on. It's in the book of Psalms, and you are going to be stunned about what David says. At least I hope that you are. I hope that you see this as powerful, it is Um, unexpected but glorious as uh, I think God would want you to. Psalm chapter 57. Psalm chapter 57. You think about what David writes here in light of all that we've seen him go through. Psalm 57. See the little uh, uh, writing... uh, at the beginning of the chapter, to the choir master, according to do not destroy a, of, of David, a mictum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. The first thing David says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings will I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts and the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul has, was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Pretty remarkable psalm, isn't it? So many amazing things, we don't have time to count them. But isn't it striking that David's sensitivity is his own need for mercy? His own need for mercy and his desire that it be God who is exalted. What a contrast to, to Saul. It affects your conscience. When you're deeply aware of how in need of God's mercy you are. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy, right? It affects how you view other people, especially your enemies. 
It affects the influence you have on other people, what with your life you're really telling other people to do. And friends, you see the uh, way the psalm begins and the way that it ends? Be merciful to me, O God. Be exalted, O God. The way that you respond to the temptation to treat other people the way that they treat you has a lot to, to do with how much God is being exalted in your life. So here's the conclusion, a concluding question leading into we'll sing together and we'll pray together and seek the Lord together. So I'm going to end with this, this question. Are you waiting on the Lord or trying to bring about the blessings of God into your life through means he would never bless? Ask it one more time and then we'll pray together and respond together. Are you waiting on the Lord or trying to bring about the blessings of God into your life through means that he would never bless. I think David is given the grace from God to realize that the, the reason that God is giving the kingdom to David, he doesn't want David to just be a second Saul. It's pointing us to Jesus, who is, friends, a ruler and king like no other. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. And we're going to seek to re respond together. All right, y'all, this has been, oh, this, is, this has been hard for our, our flesh, our nature. But I want you to bow your heads with me again. We're going to pray, and we're going to respond. Because I want you to see one last thing, one last thing. It's not just that David doesn't do to Saul what Saul's been done to David. It's not, that he doesn't, it's not just that he doesn't harm him. And then secondly, I want you to see, it's not just that he is sort of neutral. It's that he actually tries to do him good. And that's what puts the Christ in Christian. It's how God has treated his enemies. That's how God has treated you. It's not just that he didn't do to you as you've done unto him and now is kind of neutral. He sought your eternal good. Extended you forgiveness. Seeking to deliver you by his might and his mercy. Be merciful, O oh God, to me. Father, would you help us now? The world, the days, the culture that we live in, it's tense, angry, heated. And hardly a day passes by, hardly an hour passes by where I'm not faced, we face the temptation to sort of withdraw, give up, go home, stay in the stronghold, or lash out, get revenge, as if we even know what that means. Thank you for King Jesus, son of David. But when he was cursed, he blessed. When he was wronged, wronged, extended grace and compassion. We are asking for help to become more and more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.